0: Welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Disclosure. I'm one of your hosts, Rania Kallick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Gastola. Hello, Kevin.
1: Hey, it's good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's good to be back. And we have a really great guest today, someone I've been wanting to have on for quite some time, Carl Zha. He's host of the Silk and Steel podcast. And Carl is a Chinese-American who actually recently traveled to China. And I was following his travels there. He posted a bunch of really cool uh, videos and photos, and it pissed off like a lot of neocons on Twitter. That I think at one point, Carl, you got banned. Um, but we can talk yes. about that. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> it's great to you, have you on. You. Um, so I just want to, like, I guess, get right into it. Basically, I was telling you before we started recording that we've been wanting to have someone on to talk about Hong Kong and China, and we haven't yet. So. I'm really excited to have you on because you've been following this stuff very closely and you've been such a useful resource, um, especially on social media. So I guess like for our listeners who maybe don't know what's going on in Hong Kong, um, which have just seen sort of the mainstream media pushing the, you know, there's pro-democracy protests. Like, let's start there. What is happening in Hong Kong, I guess, the past several months with these protests?
2: Yes. So um, it all started when was a murder. Uh, There was a Hong Kong guy traveled with his uh, pregnant Hong Kong girlfriend to Taiwan, where he strangled her, uh, left her body in in bushes near a, a train station. And then he fled back to Hong Kong. And because there's no extradition treaty between Hong Kong and Taiwan, he cannot be brought to trial in Taiwan for the murder. And. And because the Hong Kong law cannot prosecute him for crimes committed outside of Hong Kong, so the the most the Hong Kong police could do is charge him with theft. Because after he killed his girlfriend, he actually took her iPhone and stole her bank card and took about, like, uh, I think, 60,000 Hong Kong dollars uh, from her bank account. So they got him for theft, and they sentenced him for 23 months in jail, which is the maximum he could be given. And he's actually due to be released end of this month, October 23rd. Oh, my God. Yes, he will get out of jail. And, and so by the victim's parents' request, uh, the Hong Kong government um, started to work on this extradition bill. And because um, you know, Hong Kong actually has extradition bill with most of the, most of the country in the world, including United States, That is why when Edward Snowden fled to Hong Kong, he had to flee again because he was afraid that he might get extradited back to US. Uh, However, um, Hong Kong basically functioned under the set of uh, British colonial laws that was preserved even after 1997 handover under the one country, two system rule. So Hong Kong still does not have extradition treaty with either mainland China or Taiwan, um, and so because Hong Kong's status had changed since after 1997 handover, Hong Kong is now officially part of China. That you can't just have extradition treaty with Taiwan because you know the People's Republic the China government claims jurisdiction over Taiwan. So what they have to do uh, when they run the extradition bill, they they proposed the extradition bill with all three territories: mainland China, Taiwan, and Macau. And then there, there was a huge, uh, like, a media campaign in Hong Kong against this by uh, uh, you know uh, by a billionaire media tycoon Jimmy Lai, whom Wall Street Journal and New York Times called him the Rupert Murdoch of Asia. Uh, <laughs> Which is kind of accurate because, you know, Apple Daily is one of the largest uh, uh, tabloid in circulation in in Hong Kong and Taiwan. And uh, he basically, in in his uh, media campaign, uh, did this really uh, a a scare campaign that that, uh, portrays the extradition bill as something that breaches the legal firewall that separates mainland China and Hong Kong. So as I mentioned before, because you know Hong Kong is a special territory in China, it uh, as part of the um, 1997 handover agreement, China agreed to the so-called one country, two system rules, where Hong Kong gets to preserve all its way of life, all its separate legal systems, you know, from the British colonial days, and that then you know a lot of cooks a lot of especially like for financial crimes uh people can just go to hong kong and not get prosecuted Uh, and 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 this happens in u.s and canada too a lot of uh you know chinese uh financial cooks after they they got their yield gotten gains they just go to canada where there's no extradition treaty with china so they can you know live scot (laughs) free
0: So that's uh, that's really interesting too because it doesn't Hong Kong have an extradition does it have an extradition treaty with the U S and Canada? It
2: does. Okay, yes. so it's yes.
0: okay with the U S and Canada, but not okay with China.
2: Yes, <laughs> that's because funny. they say yeah, because they say well, China is not a democracy and the the Chinese law cannot be trusted. But the extradition bill was actually very specific. Um, it, it does not cover political crimes and all extradition cases must be judged case by case basis and must be approved by a hong kong judge right?
0: yeah that but, was left out completely the main cause the mainstream coverage in the u.s portrayed it as like oh my god all of these political dissidents are going to be sent to china yes. to be tortured or something
2: yes that's the same scare campaign that was waging hong kong and that's why uh, in june started in june there was a big anti-extradition uh bill protests in Hong Kong, which uh, initially the, the, the protesters, I claim the first big march, they claim a million people attended. Uh, but, you know, the, the Hong Kong police uh, claim it was more like 150,000. And then a month later, Reuters did an image analysis of the crowd and, and came up with an estimate of 250,000. Which is actually closer to the police estimate, but it doesn't matter. You know, Western media, they still call it a million man march, right? And, and, and later there was a bigger march. Uh, they, the protester side against again claimed two million people. Again, this, this figure just being adopted <laughs> unquestionably by Western media. Now, like, it's, oh, two million people marching in Hong Kong, right? <laughs> it's
0: like Trump's inauguration. <laughs>
2: Right, <laughs> right, right. And, and, and then um, after that, uh, after the big June protest, um, so the Hong Kong government actually t- took a step back. They announced they will suspend the bill. Uh, but apparently that's not enough for the protesters uh, because they demanded a formal withdrawal. So so protests continue. In fact, on the day that the Hong Kong government uh, announced that the bill will be suspended the you know it's the first time when the the protests actually escalated into violence a group of protesters stormed the hong kong legislature building that broke in and they tore down the hong kong flag and replaced it with a colonial british colonial hong kong flag with a union jack on it and and at that point you know there's still a lot of uh, apologists on Twitter claiming, oh, this must be, uh, like, uh, infiltrated by the, by the Hong Kong government to make the protest movement look bad. And then some protesters, they took selfies of themselves inside the building and say, hey, look, we're inside the legislature, and <laughs> post on Instagram, on Facebook, and, and you know, of course, now they're they are in trouble legally, so they try to flee to Taiwan. And, and so that, that became, uh, raised another demand from the protester side. Now they demand amnesty for all the all the protesters who got charged and arrested under um uh, like, uh under riot charges. So they want they want all the charges dropped. That became and, and eventually there there would be five demands. So the demand the number one demand is extra, uh, resigning the extradition formal withdrawal of the extradition bill. Um, and it's, then it's uh, uh, declared, we signed the, uh, resigned the gov- government characterization of um, one of the June protests as a riot. This is, was a time when the protester surrounded the legislature building to prevent the bill from being discussed. This was a day when the uh, extradition bill would be debated in the Hong Kong legislature, but the, the protesters just surrounded the building, so the legislator couldn't get in, uh, and the police fired uh, uh, tear gas to disperse the crowd. So, so at that, uh, um, on that day, the Hong Kong government labeled that act as a riot, but under Hong Kong law, there's actually no legal consequences of, uh, you know, like even if the Hong Kong government label as a riot, it doesn't actually have any legal standing. But it doesn't matter. The protesters want that characterization removed. They want amnesty for all the protesters got arrested during the protest. Uh, so that's three demands. And then they wanted to, um, the, the, the biggest demand, though, is universal suffrage. They demand uh, immediately to have uh, universal suffrage in Hong Kong for both the the Hong Kong Chief Executive position and the Hong Kong legislature. Um, now, this, this point actually gets a lot of support. I mean, understandably, because you know how can you be against universal suffrage? Except that you know during the British colonial days, you know, like Hong Kong never had uh, democracy or election until uh, 1984. So in 1980s, when that's when the British lease on one of the biggest Hong, piece of Hong Kong territory, new territory was up. Because the, the history of Hong Kong, I think most people already know, you, it, was, it was part of China and then British forcibly took it over uh, as a result of the Opian War. As a result of two Opium Wars, it, it took over Hong Kong and the Kwai Lung Peninsula. And then in in 1897, after the first Sino-Japanese War, uh, in 1894-95, uh, when Japan defeated China, that's when all the imperialist Western power realized: "Well, China is really weak. We better get in and 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 demand our pound of flesh." So, so British then in 1897 forcibly leased this huge chunk of territory in Hong Kong called New Territory, and and. Britain leased it for 100 years, so, so the lease was due to expire in 1997. Then in 1980s, Thatcher government went to China, went to talk to then the Chinese leader, Deng Xiaoping, asking for a renewal of the lease, and Deng Xiaoping said no. And then Thatcher, uh, this was 1980, so right after you know, the Falkland War, Thatcher then went to the British military establishment, asked him to draft a, a plan for defending Hong Kong against Chinese attack. And then the, 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 the British military brass had to set her down and said, ma'am, that's impossible. You know, Hong Kong actually depends on its drinking water supply for mainland China, and there's just no way we can defend against an attack on the mainland. And, and that's when... Thatcher was forced to go back to negotiation table to uh, negotiate this final status of Hong Kong, and in the end, it was agreed: all of Hong Kong, Hong Kong Island, Kowloon Peninsula, new territory, everything will be returned to China in 1997. And in return, China promised to uh, preserve the Hong Kong way of life as it was. So that's. The so-called one country, two system. The China promise will not impose its socialist system on Hong Kong. Hong Kong will keep having its famous free-willing capitalism uh, and and its own separate government. So in 1984, after Britain agreed to return the territory to China, Britain then started to... I'm sorry, that's my dog. That's
0: okay. We like the background noise.
2: (laughs) Okay. And and so in 1987, after Britain agreed to hand over the territory to China, they started to introduce a very limited electoral reform. Um, it was not one man, one vote, but uh, they s- divided up, the, you know, into voter blocks by w- the so-called the constituency voting. So, you know, they set up a side of a a block for the lawyers and doctors and the business interests and so forth, so on and so forth. And China was okay with that. Um, you know, that then, then the, the agreement was that that new system introduced by Britain will also be uh, grandfathered in at the time of handover. Then in 1994, just about three years before the handover, the last uh, British, British colonial governor of Hong Kong, Chris Patton, decided that he's going to make a name for himself, he's going to leave a legacy, and he's going to, raise a big middle finger to China because this is 1993, 94 when he became the governor. This was right out uh, one year after the collapse of Soviet Union and collapse of communism all across Eastern Europe. So at the time, China was one of the last communist countries standing, and it looks like maybe a lot of people then in the West thinking maybe China will be the next domino to fall. So Chris Batten you know, sees this opportunity to you know, leave his legacy and also to spy China. So he decided to expand the electoral reform um, to a wider electorate. And and then the Chinese government wasn't happy about that because they thought they already had agreement with the British government back in the 1980s. And, and they did not like the last minute, minute change. And then, um, so in 1995, the last election before the handover, uh, under the new new election laws, you know, the, there's the the, the, the pan democratic camp uh, of Hong Kong that got elected into the Hong Kong legislature. Now this this the, the pan democratic camp headed by Martin Lee, who is called the father of Hong Kong's democracy by by uh, by U.S. National Endowment for Democracy. Um, you know, has very cozy tie with Washington, and and in fact, the National Endowment for Democracy has a whole biography dedicated to him. You can just look it up. Just Google Martin Lee and National Endowment for Democracy, <laughs> you'll find the page. And and, and uh, you know, and we all know, you know, NED is just basically a front for <laughs> for CIA. And
0: yeah, it's a part of regime change like through civil society organizations around yeah. the world.
2: Yeah, so so that's why China was extra wary when the, the pan-democratic camp got themselves elected into the legislature. And then, so in 1997, after the handover, they disbanded the leg, uh, legislature that was elected in 1995, and they held a new election in 1998, um, under the pre-1994 election law, so the the the, the limited uh, democracy that that was introduced by Britain in the 1980s. So that's where we are in Hong Kong today. Hong Kong is not a full democracy; it's like a semi-democracy. It has a limited uh, election, uh, but the, the the Hong Kong um, Hong Kong governor, the Hong Kong chief executive, you know. So so now it's. Um, is, you know, had needs, basically the Beijing's approval, right, to, to be, to be the, the head of Hong Kong. And the legislature is elected, but it's not one man, one vote, it's, it's under this uh, constitutional system. And, and, and now, in, under the Hong Kong's mini-constitution, the basic law um, that China helped draft it, it did promise Hong Kong universal suffrage eventually and in fact in nineteen in twenty uh, just a few years ago i think it was twenty fifteen um that a proposal was proposed in the Hong kong legislature to implement the universal suffrage uh, in hong kong one man one vote with the with a caveat that the, the Beijing will have a veto on who becomes the um who gets elected to the Hong Kong chief executive position? Because uh, you know Beijing's concern is that Hong Kong gets turned into uh, anti-China platform by, say, U.S. <laughs> and the Western interests. So you want to reserve that veto on the on you know who who gets possibly gets elected. So, but that bill was defeated in the Hong Kong legislature because you know the pan-democratic camp. Rejected outright. They say, "Well, if it's not, if it's not a like a, they 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 feel it's not real universal suffrage. So let's not just have it at all. So that's where where we are today. Um, uh, you know, Hong Kong still does not have universal suffrage, and and this is now been one of the demands of the protest. But you know, this whole whole time you know, the extradition, in the West, is all talk about extradition bill, extradition bill. Uh, Carrie Lam, the Hong Kong chief executive, actually said in July, after they have, you know, um, suspended the bill in June, in July, she said it again, the bill is dead, right? But apparently that was not enough for the protesters. The protest went on and the violence escalated. And, and in fact, there was a a Hong Kong protester who wrote an opinion page in New York Times called the Hong Kong protesters tactic, how to get the police to hit you. And and it talks about this marginal violence theory. And it says, you know, we should adopt aggressive, quote unquote, nonviolence tactic to push the government and the police to overreact. And,
0: and aggressive non-violent aggressive non-violence yes, yes. <laughs> what a word, what a phrase aggressive non-violence
2: <laughs> yes I, I mean at this point i don't think there's even any pretense that there's it's non-violence in Hong kong protests anymore i mean we have people throwing molotov cocktails uh, mm. uh, to 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 block the traffic and they're they're attacking the they're attacking the government the police buildings they're burning down the Hong Kong metro stations, um, and they're, they're smashing businesses that, uh, you know, express the anti-protest views. I mean, like, they're smashing uh, this, uh, the Maxing Group, uh, this, uh, this uh, a chain store in Hong Kong that sells pastries, because the, the owner of the founder went to UN and said there are few radical Hong Kong protesters have now resorted to violence. And because she <laughs> said that, like, the, the business was targeted. And now they're smashing all the all the stores in Hong Kong. And- well,
0: yeah, it's really stunning to me, too, like, um, to see American commentators and pundits, you know, talk about the brutal Hong Kong police. Like, I- I'm not, like, someone who's pro-police. I'm generally, like, very suspicious of authority. But just based on, like, the videos I've seen coming out of Hong Kong, the police seem like they've been quite restrained. I'm just thinking about how they would behave towards people in the U.S. if they behaved the way the protesters or rioters or whatever you want to call them in Hong Kong behaved. Um, I mean, uh, you certainly would have yeah, seen I mean, way more violence. I mean, I don't know. Has anybody even died in Hong Kong? Um,
2: well, so so there's no death from the police action. The only death in Hong Kong resulted from suicide. You know there, there are a couple ah. protesters throw themselves off the bridge to demand, you know, to 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 demand that the, 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 the demands be accepted. So the, those are the only deaths so far. And, and there's zero death from direct police action. And now we actually have protests all around the world in Latin America, mm-hmm. Indonesia. In Iraq, and people have
0: died. You know, in Iraq, the police in Iraq, the security forces, who by the way are have been trained by the U.S., have killed oh, like have killed up to two hundred people in like a week, and you've barely yes. heard a peep from U.S. officials about it because it's like our ally. Whereas in Hong Kong, like like cops use tear gas, or literally like cops are surrounded by people hitting them with metal bars, and I think a yeah. cop like shot somebody. And he was being hit by somebody with a metal bar. I was like, if that was the U.S., that guy would be dead. Like, you would... Yeah, like, I mean, in the U.S., you approach a cop with, like, a hairbrush in your hand, and you get shot to death. Like, I mean, it's just yeah, insane, this, the double standards.
2: Yeah, like, it's funny because New York Times actually broke down that video frame by frame and, and, and posted it on Facebook. And then, you know, like, because in the video, you can actually see uh, the protester were chasing this one cop who got isolated and they, they beat him down to the ground and they were beating down beating him with metal rods and hammers <laughs> and 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 um, and then then the, the when the, the police that came to, to rescue their colleague um, you know took his gun out and then the, the protester who got shot used a metal rod to hit the police's firearm are the, the he hit the, the police arm that was holding the gun and then the gun went off and that was the uh, thing. yeah and and, and then the, and i think probably to the surprise of new york times uh people who actually post up the video a lot of the comments were like what did they expect you know like
0: what, yeah what they like they you fucking, <laughs> you charge at a cop with like a metal rod and you're hitting him like you might get shot and yeah. I mean, what was amazing to me is I was watching that unfold, like, once it got, you know, once the video came out, and all these, like, pro-Hong pro, pro, pro Hong Kong, like, protest people were tweeting out the video, and they're like, oh my god, and I'm like, have you watched it? Like, it's like, are we looking at the same thing? Like, you're this is police brutality? Like, you surround a cop, and you hit him with metal rods, he's probably gonna shoot you. Like, it's not that difficult to assess, but... I think that's kind of like, there's like, it speaks to a lot about the double standards around Hong Kong, but I also want to ask you about like, something that's been completely missing from um, the coverage is the elements of these protests that are very separatist and also extremely xenophobic about China. Yes,
2: yes, yes. I mean, there's a, so Hong Kong for a long time, it, it has been, you know, it was, it, it's, a, it's still a very wealthy, wealthy city, but Compared to mainland China, it used to be, you know, like, like the, just, a, just a, a factoid. Back in 1993, the Hong Kong GDP was about 27 percent of the entire Chinese GDP. I mean, just that one city. So so I remember wow. growing up in China. China in 1980s and then just remember Hong Kong is like a magical paradise you know like people are wealthy they, you know they have so much money and, and 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 because in 1980s China was very poor it just emerged out of Cultural Revolution you know people were were uh, very I mean like live living in very poor conditions and and at the time a lot of the you know Hong Kong men uh, you know you know like even if uh, you're a Hong Kong taxi driver, doesn't matter. You, you can cross the border into mainland and set yourself up with a couple mainland Chinese mistresses. And that was common. That was very common. Um, and and ironically, you know, like, so that, that but that started to change um, in more recent years as, as mainland China grew more wealthier. And, and whereas, you know, the Hong Kong economy uh, is kind of caught in this kind of, I don't want to say economic stagnation, but it's not, comparatively speaking, it's not doing as well. Because, you know, Hong Kong is facing, uh, is facing very similar economic situation that uh, the whole wider West is facing. Because, you know, Hong Kong used to be a manufacturing center. And then in 1980s, after China opened up, all the Hong Kong capitalists then moved their factories from Hong Kong into China, where the, the, the labor cost is much cheaper. And so all the manufacturing of Hong Kong got hollowed out, and what Hong Kong got left with was, you know, um, finance and real estate. And you know, in a very highly financialized economy, I you think. Know, the, the Hong Kong youth is facing increasingly diminished economic prospects because, um, you know, like housing prices in Hong Kong is just ridiculous. And, and part of the reason, you know, Hong Kong government is responsible because, uh, you know, Hong Kong government derives most of its revenue from land sales to developers. So Hong Kong government has an incentive to ration out the land to, you know, sell them at artificially inflated prices. And this was done because back in the British colonial days, the British Empire demanded its colony to be self-sustainable, right? So so Hong, then the, the Hong Kong colonial government found this way to, you know, keep taxes low by, uh, you know, under the British law, all the land in Hong Kong belonged to the government. And then the Hong Kong government then parsed out small portion of land to be developed, to sell to the developer. So. So over time, there's this collusion between the Hong Kong government and the the real estate developers to keep the land price high and the real estate price high. And this was not changed after 1997 handover because, you know, one country, two system. China was not to interfere in the internal affairs of Hong Kong. So in a way, a lot of the British colonial structure was passed down intact, you know, kept in preserved in Hong Kong. And, and and so Hong Kong has a lot of economic inequality. I mean there were people in Hong Kong literally living in cages because people can't afford housing. And and, and you know that's that's increasingly, you know, frustrating for young people because uh, you know a lot of Hong Kong youth right now they live with their parents with their and up to their 30s because they can't afford place of their own. I mean, a lot of it sounds like, bit. it
0: sounds, it sounds a lot, no, but like, I mean, it sounds a lot like what you said where it's like what's happening in the West where it's sort of like the decay of neoliberalism and yes. no prospects for the future. And it's like, seems like it's much more extreme in Hong Kong in terms of like, I, just from videos I've watched of like the housing there where it's like these tiny rooms are like apartments. Um, it's the result of like capitalism. <laughs> Not China. Like, it's like the pe- people do have these, like, legitimate economic grievances. But, like, you're saying it's not China's fault. It's actually the result of, like, a decaying Western global order of capital. Yep.
2: That's, that's what the Hong Kong is famous for. You know, Hong Kong always gets extolled in the Western neoliberal circles as this, like, uh, this uh, beacon of, you know, free will and capitalism. Well, th- this is what you get. And, and, and But what happened was all these discontent bandits get channeled into this very ugly nativism. Again, very similar to what's happening in Trump's America today. You know, like, you, you know, when Americans, a lot of Americans face with economic uncertainty and anxiety, what do they do? They blame Mexican immigrants because that's so easy to do. And, and in Hong Kong's case, you know, instead of Mexicans, they blame the mainland Chinese immigrants. And and in fact, one of the founder, um, uh, you know, the spiritual leader of the Hong Kong protest movement, I say spiritual leader because he's, he, he's in prison right now. And, and, but he called uh, Edward, Luon, Edward Nguyen, he is, uh, he coined the term, we, we st- restore Hong Kong revolution of our time. That is a protest slogan and his, Group, the Hong Kong in, is a very localist nativist group that basically advocate Hong Kong for Hong Kongers, and it, it, it's against uh, mainland Chinese immigration. In fact, in uh, just recently, they organized a, a protest to to deport uh, a mainland Chinese boy, a 12-year-old mainland Chinese boy who had been living in Hong Kong for for nine years, which means he lived in Hong Kong since he was four years old. So this group of people, they went to, you know, the Hong Kong government to urge the Hong Kong government to deport this boy. Uh, You know, it's just how how ugly these people are. Uh, So Edward, and the funny thing is, Edward himself was born in mainland China in 1991. And he immigrated with his mother, you know, when he was one year old. And yet, here he is, he's leading this anti-immigrant group. And and and, and he is part of the way, because, you know, Hong Kong has very strict immigration uh, regarding, uh, you know, mainland Chinese, especially, you know, all, all, all these laws are preserved on the British colonial days. And, and you know, at the time, you know, the, the people who gets to, in Edward's case, it's, it's double ironic because, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of Hong Kong men, they were going over to, to mainland China in the 80s and 90s, you know, have a good time, have mainland mistresses, you know, have mainland children. So children of these Hong Kong men, they are exception to the strict Hong Kong immigration. So they get to immigrate to Hong Kong. So that's how Edward himself got to immigrate to Hong Kong with his mom in 1991. And now is the head of the hong kong indigenous group that's demanding a stop to my chinese immigration and, yeah you don't you don't and, hear
0: him portrayed that way like at all
2: oh no no he's uh he's like a, a, a idealistic uh democracy fighter
0: <laughs> he's like a re- he's a freedom fighting moderate rebel
2: yes yes <laughs> Yes, and in the fact, they actually they actually advocate using violent action in the protest. That's one of their platform of the Hong Kong indigenous, and, and because they claim that you know, peaceful protests achieved nothing, so the only more radical, more violent protest could force the Hong Kong government to come to terms. And that's exactly what the Hong Kong protesters have been doing in the last three months. I mean, there's, there's a continued escalation of violence. I mean, it's not. It's not even non It's not even aggressive non-violence anymore. It's just straight <laughs> up violence, right? And and, and so even um, in September, uh, so September fourth, the the Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam finally finally came out and said, you know, we would formally withdraw the tradition bill. We apologize for misjudging the government, uh, the public sentiment, etc. And guess what? After uh, the announcement, nothing had changed. The violence escalated, right? And, and so, like this, so this is, uh, by the way, uh, if I didn't mention, Edward Long also, you know, his platform, not just anti immigrants, also for Hong Kong independence. That, that's their platform, Hong Kong independence. So, there is a very strong native uh, sentiment in the Hong Kong protest. And there are a group of people who are advocating Hong Kong, like a separatist Hong Kong identity, Hong Kong, um, Hong Kong independence movement. And you know, of course, they're all backed by, um, you know, Mark Rubio, uh, Pompeo, and Pence. You know, they have a. Uh, no, they wouldn't do
0: that. They wouldn't. They wouldn't support something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: because because the poster child of Hong Kong protests, you know, Joshua Wong and Denise Ho, uh, you know, they actually were recently in U.S. were talking. They they testified in front of Congress. They 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 got introduced by Mark Rubio, right? Who is introducing this Hong Kong Human Rights uh, Act? Basically it says United States will um, decide on annual basis whether Hong Kong remain autonomous enough from China and if, if if US finds that Hong Kong is not autonomous enough from China then US will place sanction on Hong Kong and this is <laughs> on Hong Kong wait on Hong Kong
0: on, on Hong, Hong Kong. Kong
2: yes yes on Hong Kong and this is supported by the Hong Kong protesters. And I'm and, and like, this is mind boggling. You are asking this, uh, you know, this neoconservative, like regime change cheerleader, Marco Rubio to place sanction on your city. Um, and and, and it's, it's, my because, you know, for US, you know, US of course is playing its own for its own interest because of course. Hong Kong, is still a very important financial center for China. A lot of the mainland Chinese companies, they go to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and to list their shares, and they you know, use Hong Kong as a very you know, important financial hub. And what Mark Rubio's Hong Kong the, uh, Human Rights Act is doing is essentially another way of placing economic sanction on China.
0: Um, yeah, you know what's amazing? I mean, it's so typical. Like, it's the same shit with um, Syria and Venezuela. You have these, like, I mean, in the case of Hong Kong, they actually still live there. But, like, with Venezuela and in Syria, it's, like, these exiles who, like, live in the U.S. usually. But, yeah, they're, like, demanding sanctions. And then sometimes the U.S. bomb or invade their country. Um, but what's, it's, like, it's always funny how it bites them in the ass. Because, like, with Venezuela, you have Adobe saying, like, we're going to deactivate all Venezuelan accounts to comply with U.S. sanctions. And now all these opposition Venezuelan people are like, but wait, then I can't use Photoshop. And they're like, really <laughs> upset about it. Which, I don't know if you guys saw this. but Anyway, yeah, it's like these people are so short-sighted. It's like you're going to punish your own city? Like, are you insane? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's going to undercut propaganda, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I know for for Venezuela, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, how's the opposition gonna make their propaganda now? They can't access <laughs> Premier.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> speaking of which, Yeah, speaking of which, actually, um, so the the partner of Joshua Wong, you know, the other uh, uh, other poster child of Hong Kong protests, Nathan Law, he is actually in US right now attending Yale University. And 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 now there's a meme in hong kong saying oh you you all use protesters suckers your leader is now going to yale and you are going to jail yeah that's really that's thing.
0: that's really that's so clever
2: yeah. <laughs> it actually is it's really You' he's going to yale you're going to jail and, and 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 all these all these um and and and, and this it's not it's not even like a secret. Like there was a twenty fourteen BBC documentary on Oslo Freedom Forum, which mm-hmm. is this, uh, which is founded by this right wing Norwegian Venezuelan uh, billionaire. Yeah,
0: and, he's like cousin and, of the of Leopoldo Lopez, who's like the rich Venezuelan opposition leader.
2: Uh, but yeah, yeah, he's
0: he's an asshole. <laughs> and,
2: yeah, found on this like color revolution all over the world from ukraine to syria you know now hong kong and and in 2014 this bbc glowing bbc documentary mind you and says yes they you know like regime change takes hard work and organization that's why we train hong kong protesters here in Glasgow. And, and then they introduce Joshua Wong. So this was the 2014 Hong Kong protest, the so-called Umbrella Movement. That's when, like, a lot of these uh, protester leaders, like Joshua Wong, first became known. And you know, so the the video showed them like hobnobbing with all these like Syrian, uh, you know, moderate rebel, uh, <laughs> a, a PR propagandist, like, like mm-hmm. you know, like helmets, you know, like, like literally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I, I think I, think I, I saw you know. this video. I think I know what you're talking about. Literally, it's like Venezuelans, uh, white helmets, people, and then, like, these Hong Kong protesters were all together, like, learning how to v- overthrow their governments through aggressive, nonviolent acts. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it's not even just kidding. It's, like, wide open. Uh, and And... And you know, and then you know, like people in you know, the Twitter, people like keep on. De- there still people denying you know U.S. involvement? It's like, oh, what what can the U.S. do? Well, U.S. did spend like ton- you know, through National Endowment of Democracy, spent somewhere up to twenty six million dollars in the last few years on sponsoring all the <laughs> all the. That's
0: a lot of. I mean, that's a lot of money. Like people are like, what's the big <laughs> deal? What you think twenty million dollars is gonna make a difference? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah,
2: it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, and, and and also there's a um, and I remember so there was a video um, uh, by uh, South China Morning Post, um, the Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong media uh, paper, which is very you know pro protest, and they had this like a, a a subsidiary called Inkstone, which produces kind of vice like. Short videos, and in fact, I think Inkstone hires like Bomber Vice people who, who you know makes these videos. And one of the video was showing these Hong Kong pro- how how do the Hong Kong protesters get their equipment, right? And and it goes on to show well, you know, these gas masks could cost upwards to a hundred dollars. could be things could get expensive. So how do the Hong Kong protesters finance their equipment? So it explains. Oh, that's because the good-hearted are not anonymous Hong Kong citizens who donate these equipments into, you know, drop points throughout the city where people just show up and collect them. And I saw a Twitter uh, a tweet um, by Scientism on on Twitter. He said, "You got to be kidding me! How you're expecting us to believe all these uh, protesters who got equipped with the same uniformed equipments?" you know, looking brand new, and, and and also, like they point out, expensive, just got this equipment for anonymous drop-off points throughout the city, before, you know, without the police coming there first and picking up everything? Like, and, and like, this is mind-boggling. I mean, that's how- <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: so explain, obvious. You know. So
2: he's obvious. is how, how they're trying to explain, oh, like, Hong Kong protest supposed to be a, a leaderless movement, right? What he really <laughs> means, you know, you 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 know there's no responsibility. You know, like people can de- deny responsibility. There's no leader. You know, everybody just accord- just they're just organized uh, uh, anonymously, right? You, you have all these videos on Twitter about how ingenious, how organized these Hong Kong protesters are. At the same time, they're also uh, say, oh, they're all leaderless. You know, it's, it's yeah, uh, they're just
0: like a bunch of like you know, ca- they're just like a bunch of hot dog stand guys. You know yeah they, and like figure it out. So <laughs> they all are just like you know what i've had enough i'm gonna go protest for democracy i mean it's really it's just amazing how like abstract it all becomes too because like this term pro-democracy protester like what does that even mean does that mean if you don't support them you're anti-democracy like why it doesn't make any any sense that's actually it what work.
2: it means now in, in hong kong protest contest because um, you know, like, literally, they're smashing the shops of people who disagree with them. And, and they have, uh, you know, anybody, like, th- th- there was a video that just emerged a few days ago. There was a, a, um, a Mandarin-speaking office worker, who, I think he works at J.P. Morgan. Um, what I heard was he actually came from, U- he, he got hired straight from U.S. by J.P. Morgan. And he was on his lunch break. Uh, he was standing around near his office and then this Hong Kong, uh, so-called Hong Kong press, uh, cause right now in Hong Kong, it seems like everybody's press. Like there was a Hong Kong journalist literally on Twitter. She said, you know, don't worry about the press pass. Just go ahead and print yourself one, you know, and get a reflective jacket and then go, go out and there take, take journalism. It's citizen j- journalism. Like, okay. So, so, so this, this citizen journalist. You know, like was all over his face, like taking photos of, of his phone. He was just like looking at his phone and this guy poking over looking at his phone. So he 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 was a little upset and he asked the guy for his press pass and the Hong Kong guy pretend he doesn't speak Mandarin and then, then he he responded revealing he does understand Mandarin. He's like, Why should I give you my press pass? And then he got a whole bunch of these protesters surrounding him getting all worked up and started yelling at this uh, mandarin speaker and telling him um, (laughs) in cantonese like fuck your mom and go back to mainland right everybody was yelling go back to mainland go back to mainland So he 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 was walking back to his office and finally he had enough So he turned around and he faced the crowd he said we're all chinese and right at that moment there was a white reporter, I don't even know if he's a real reporter, went across the room went across his path, closed the door right in front of him because he was right about to go inside the JP Morgan building. So this this, this white guy, supposedly a press uh, photographer, I don't I don't know if he's real press, closed the door in front of him. So trap him in this corner and this Hong Kong black mask Hong Kong protector come from behind. And soccer punch and then start beating up on her, and and this is what the Hong Kong protester protest is turning. You know, it's, it's it's about you know anybody who who said anything that disagree with them or they just don't like, they 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 are entitled to beat. And there was even a, a journalist, a legitimate journalist, Dee who claimed to be a Hong Konger, but now is working in Berlin. She took that video, and she quote tweeted, she said, well, this is not good, but, you know, the the Mandarin speakers, mainlanders in Hong Kong should show some humility. Like, you got to be fucking kidding me. All these people were yelling at him, go back to mainland, and all he said was, you know, we're all Chinese, and you said he's and your response is this mainlander is too arrogant. He should show some humility.
0: No, it's kind of like the equivalent of that. With the equivalent with that would, to that would be of like if a bunch of white racists surrounded a Mexican guy, and then you had some other person be like, "Well, that Mexican guy should have shown some some humility." She like it's fucking crazy. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean. This is that this is one reason I'm like really (laughs) against the protest. I mean, I I, I'm not against universal suffrage for Hong Kong. I think everyone should have universal suffrage. Right. But this is I'm against this unchecked nativism, this really ugly racist undertone. And and and, and all that was kind of smoothed over by the Western press. You hardly see any of that reported. And, and, you know, because, you know, Western press love a simple story. They love the, the, the plucky, brave uh, Hong Kong protest, pro-democracy Hong Kong protester versus a big, bad authoritarian China, right? It's so the David versus the Goliath, Goliath story that, that the Western media is angling for. But, yeah,
0: the same but, Western media that's like, oh my God, did you see those Palestinians go up to that fence? Like, they're terrorizing yeah. the Israelis. <laughs> I mean, that sucks they got shot, but what did they expect? Like, yeah. it's just, the, the, no, but it, I mean, the double standard really is shocking. You've got these massive protests in, uh, like, Ecuador right now. And, like, no one's saying a word. And it's, like, it, it's just, it's incredible to me. It's, like, because at least, like, with, with Hong Kong, I mean, it's not... It's not like Syria. Like, they're not killing people. Like, they're not killing protesters in Hong Kong. And you, based on the coverage, you would think they were. But I think Kevin actually wanted to bring it up. You wanted to ask about the NBA thing, right, Kevin? Yeah,
1: so I, I, this, we're talking about media, and obviously this is dominated. And, and listening to you speak, Carl, there's a couple questions that come to my mind related to the story that is dominated the last uh, week or so here uh, in the United States particularly, uh, you can get into it, but it was the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, sending this tweet about China. You you can get into exactly what the fault lines are here in what, what, I don't know if you can call it a feud, if that's an accurate word or not. I don't really like that word. But my question for you is how does this, because it seems like what really, the Hong Kong protesters are turning to this NBA controversy to give them a second win, to give them another yeah. cycle in their protest.
2: Yes. I mean, right now, there's such a large perception gap between China and U.S. I mean, like, largely, I hold the Western media responsible. And, and um, you know, what the mainland Chinese people see, you know, they saw... Um, you know, like a month ago, that, that ugly scene at the Hong Kong airport when a couple of mainland Chinese travelers were accused by the Hong Kong protester of being um, somehow undercover cop or, or, or Chinese spy. They were, they were being zip tied, detained, and beaten in the airport for like four to five hours. One of them got beaten unconscious a couple of times. All this was live streamed. Right. And and even even CNN had live streaming, right? And, and and a lot of people in US don't know, but CNN is actually not banned in China. People in China can access CNN. Right? So my cousin, my mainland Chinese cousin in China, he watched this live. He watches the mainland Chinese guy being beaten in the airport for four hours. And and when the paramedics try to reach the guy in the airport. The paramedics was denied by the blocked by the Hong Kong protesters, you know, preventing him from getting medical help, right? And and this is this this is what the mainland Chinese people see about Hong Kong protests. They they see this 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 really ugly anti-mainland sentiment, right? And and so given that given that how they understand the Hong Kong protests, you have you know, and you have. You have the Houston rocket, which is huge, insanely popular in China. You know, you have this (laughs) morale guy sitting on Twitter and says, I stand with Hong Kong. Right. So, I mean, to the to to the mind of American, they are probably thinking, oh, moral is just standing up for his freedom of speech. He's standing up with freedom for freedom and democracy. But for the mainland Chinese audience, you know who sees the Hong Kong protesting at different angle, a different light. They see this American standing with all the protesters who beat mainland Chinese for being mainland Chinese for, for hours. And, and so, so understandably, they are very upset. And I mean, like, this is, there's a genuine grassroots, uh, you know, unhappiness with what's being said, right? And granted, you know, Chinese government can be very heavy handed, uh, you know, they, like I, I don't uh, agree with, you know, like the the, 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 the Chinese uh, TV uh, banging, banging the broadcast of NBA or whatever. Right. But 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 the, the grassroots sentiment is real in China. And again, I can understand why in U.S. it's such a big deal, because, you know, in U.S., people held freedom of speech to be sacred. Right. But you know, again, you have to remember, this is the U.S. we're talking about, you know. did we re- Do we really have freedom of speech at workplace? Well, you know, and, and, and well just, also,
0: I'd like to point out, I'd like to point out that in the U.S., the, like, NFL lost its shit because some players wouldn't stand for the anthem. Yeah. Like, yes. I mean, give me a break. Like, it's like you guys capitulate to your fans, too. Yes. And also the general and, managers and the coaches, like... Like, let's not pretend that we we actually have like complete freedom. I mean, freedom of speech in the U.S. is definitely better than a lot of places, but we also have a mob mentality, especially when it comes to business.
2: Yes, and 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 you know what, you know what P- U.S. Americans really complaining about, if you really come down to it, right? It's this these business. Uh, you know, now now there's also a big uh, controversy around Blizzard. Right. Because yes. apparently Blizzard, they, they, they ban a, a Hong Kong player who uh, uh, made some statement about the Hong Kong protest. Right. So, you know, Blizzard did this proactively <laughs> because they don't want to lose their mainland market because World of Warcraft and all these Blizzard games are hugely, insanely popular in, in China. What do what you really think about, you know, when all these Americans are up in arm about, oh, China is... Is censoring our entertainment. What they're really saying is, what really against is capitalism, right? <laughs> because yeah. American corporation, their bottom line is make money, right? And and they guess what they they make they they, they make rudos of money in China. They don't want to lose that market, <laughs> so they try. To I mean, yeah, the
0: population in China customers. is really big. It's a lot of fans. It's a lot of yeah, customers.
2: they're, they're but, trying to please their customers. So I mean. People, you know, you know, people got to think about what you really should be complaining about should be <laughs> direct your anger <laughs> toward It's capitalism. Right. This is capitalism. I mean, like we, we, we like there, I saw a tweet, which is classic. You know, people think, you know, this is about, uh, you know, US, this is really about U.S. Uh, being a capitalist democracy then then realizes really just being US being a capitalist. And, and that, that's what it is. It's, 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 it's capitalism. And, and, and people suddenly become uncomfortable, it's like, oh, that that is bad, because now now, like, uh, we have to somehow accommodate the Chinese view, you know, that's, that's terrible. And and and, 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 but, you know, to a large part, I still do blame, you know, this perception gap, because, uh, you know, a lot of Chinese a lot of Americans, they, they honestly don't know what is going on in Hong Kong or China. They they understand symbolism, right? Simple, freedom, democracy. Everybody understands that, but but they don't really understand what what's going on in China or why you know mainland Chinese people could possibly be upset at a Chinese, at a Hong Kong protest.
0: It's also yeah, true. the Americans aren't very good at nuance. Well,
1: sorry, sorry. well to that point, Ryan, that's what I was about to say is that there were actually two, uh, two coaches, Steve Kerr uh, and Greg Popovich of these two different NBA teams, one the Golden State Warriors, who had really restrained comments about what was happening with China and the NBA, and then there's Joe who had. Uh, a, a, a really nuanced comment about what's going on and why uh, Chinese were reacting the way they were. And they, in turn, become treated as anti-democratic activists, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like us, it's like you are either with us or against us, right? <laughs> it's it's that, that mentality. And, and, and I mean, I'm speaking of with, you know, since we're talking about sports and, and, and freedom of speech, and when the Hong Kong protesters were starting to wave American flags and sing Star Spangled Banner banners to try to get, you know, American support, that was captured uh, by a lot of American media. But it's also being used by a lot of the right wing in, in U.S. And I saw comments like, "Oh, look, you know, in Hong Kong, they actually love our flag." I <laughs> you know? like some, some of our players, you know. <laughs> I mean, you gotta be kidding me! I, I, yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: But could you imagine? Could you imagine on like the opposite of like if the opposite of that happened? If there was like a protest movement in the U.S., like if like Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street. Or like even the Tea Party, but like less the Tea Party. If any of those groups had you still wave carried, the, uh, Chinese have waved Chinese, or flag? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I <laughs> want to like see the Russian the flag,
0: National and like saying like the Chinese Communist Party anthem, and like and like ask for China to save them. Like they wouldn't, they'd be treated like a bunch of clowns. They wouldn't be taken seriously <laughs> in U.S. media. They would be completely mocked. Like. That would totally discredit them. Yet, like, waving American and British flags, of all things, which I think is actually worse in this case, is, like, a sign of, like, oh, that's just because we're symbols of freedom. And they're just using it as a symbol of freedom. Like, it's the most arrogant, like, lacking self-awareness kind of attitude that I've come to expect from U.S. media. They're just like, they love us. They want to be as free as we are. That's all it's about. Like... (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's like that quote from uh, Full Metal Jacket, right? It's like in in every gook's body, there's American dying to get out. It's like <laughs> that just remind me of that quote. <laughs> <laughs> but on
0: a different, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: Thank you, Carl, for
1: uh, joining us. Uh, it's been really great to hear your knowledge. This is a lot of these issues were things that we've never talked about, and I personally was unfamiliar.
0: Thank you. And uh, I guess we're going to keep going for patrons. So if you're a patron.
1: So if you're a patron, there will be additional content. um, And we're going to talk about some other issues related to China and the U.S. So thanks. For the rest of our conversation with Carl, please go to patreon.com slash unauthorized disclosure, patreon.com slash unauthorized disclosure. If you're a patron, you'll have access to the conversation that we had about trade war issues, the the trade war between the U.S. and China, the so-called Asia pivot that occurred while President Obama was in office, and we also talked about the Last Week Tonight segment that John Oliver did on the one-child policy in China, which has recently become a two-child policy. So Carl helped us to understand the myths and the reality around this policy. If you're not a patron, you can become a patron by going to our page, patreon.com slash disclosure. And uh, thank you again to all of our patrons. You're really enormously helpful, and our show would not be successful. We could not defend our work. We could not expand our reach. We could not put together shows like this with Carl without your support. So thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another episode.